All right, guys, thanks for coming out tonight. Uh, does everyone have an outline? Raise your hand if you need one. I think Robert might have a few left, or maybe not. Rodney does. Yeah, so bring them down. We need one or two down here. Definitely want to get the outline here. The faintest ink is stronger than the uh, greatest memory or something like that. So you want the words on the page, and you probably want a pen to get more words on the page, because uh, we're hoping the Lord's going to speak tonight. So uh, we want to hear the Lord's voice. Okay, so we're moving on tonight uh, to the second offering in Leviticus. If you're new for the uh, first time here with us, we're studying the book of Leviticus, nobody's favorite book in the Bible. But what we're going to see, uh, hopefully all semester long, is that Leviticus is a gospel. We're studying the gospel of Leviticus. That is the good news to man that God has for us in his inspired word, the book of Leviticus. There is good news to be had in Leviticus. And that good news is Christ. What the Bible shows us is Christ. And Leviticus, as part of the inspired scriptures, is no different than any other part of the inspired scriptures. It is a revelation, a presentation, and an invitation to experience Christ. It's a revelation of our wonderful Jesus Christ. Like we sang in the song, Lord, in this whole universe, we have no other one like you. And in the meal offering, this is the second offering, Leviticus chapter 2. In the meal offering, what we see is the uh, human living of Christ, the human living of Christ. Um, in, the, in the burnt offering, which is uh, Leviticus chapter 1, we mainly see Christ's absoluteness. So, you know, hopefully that was your big takeaway uh, the last two weeks. Christ is 100% absolute for God. And that is seen in his being obedient even unto death. In the meal offering, we mainly see Christ in his fine human living. So I was trying to think of, you know, the relationship between these two as, as like a vector. So, you know, vector's got two things. It's got direction and magnitude, magnitude right? So direction, that's kind of like the, the burn offering. What's Christ's direction? He is going where God's going. 100% he is pointed to the will of God. But what's the magnitude or the value of that vector? That's the meal offering. The meal offering shows us the quality of Christ's human living in his absoluteness for God. So I don't know if that's technically 100% mathematically accurate. That's just kind of maybe, you know, a casual application of these, these two. Another relationship is the burnt offering was God's food, right? So you remember the burnt offering was 100% burnt up on the altar. And we emphasized a lot of times that the burnt offering was food for God's satisfaction. Well, the meal offering is food for our satisfaction. We get to eat the meal offering. Okay, we get to eat the meal offering. Okay, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and look at this. Let's read the title, and then let's read the quote uh, by this guy named Origen right here at the top. So let's read the title and the quote. Ready, set, go. Yes, so this is Origen. He was one of the, the uh, most, uh, um, he, he, was, he was the, uh, well, I don't know what word to say. Yeah, he was a church father. He was the most prolific uh, writer of the early church, uh, church time after Paul here, of course, uh, died in 254 AD. And so I, I wanted to put this quote on here just to let you know that people even at 254 AD had this thought about the offerings. Every sacrifice is recapitulated. That means summed up, fulfilled, realized, summarized in Christ. 
Every offering brought in the Old Testament, mainly in Leviticus, has something of the form and image of Christ. Okay, so basically, this is again our approach to Leviticus here. These offerings are high-resolution images of Christ. The first couple of chapters of Leviticus is like the Lord's Instagram account. But he's only got five pictures. That's all he needs. He, he posted that. He did it all. Don't be looking for something new. Just get into these images. They're so high quality. The resolution, you can keep zooming in forever. He doesn't need to post another picture. It's Christ from this angle. It's Christ from this angle. It's Christ from this angle. We have a picture of the all-inclusive Christ in the offerings. And we have to be clear when we come to these offerings that, listen to this, God is trying to make it clear to us in his word that God has one answer to every human need. I want you to get this. This is what the offering is trying to show us. God has one answer to every human need. This, if you get this, this will save you from much confusion and it will help you save a lot of time in what you're asking God for. He's only got one solution to every human need, and that is he answers all our questions in only one way, showing us more of Christ. That's how he answers every human need. You got a need, CK, tonight? I mean, think about how many people are in this room, maybe 80 or so. Every single one of us represents a multitude of human needs. And God's going to answer every single need represented in this room in only one way. And that is showing us more of Jesus Christ as our offerings. Isn't that amazing? Amen. That's why we can say we're looking at the gospel of Leviticus. Okay, so um, let's go ahead and uh, look at these first, um, this first Roman numeral here. Uh, one, let's read this together. Ready, set, go. And let's read these first two verses, Timothy 2.5 and John 19.5. Ready, set, go. Okay, let's do these again. Uh, I know we're kind of getting, you know, we're still warming up here. Um, maybe you got some pepperoni in your teeth or something. Let's read these again. And when we, when we read these two verses, let's emphasize the man. And, you know, just so everyone's clear here, this is the human being. So this is the man, the human being, the humanity of Christ. So let's emphasize the man in, in both of these two verses. Let's read them again. Ready, set, go. There is one God. The man. I love it. Yes. All right, next one, go. Amen. So what we want to do tonight is we want to look at this man, this person, this human being, his humanity, his living. John 19.5 is, is Pilate's word to the, uh, the audience there, the Jews and the Romans who had gathered to crucify Jesus. And he brought out Jesus and he said, I find no fault in him. And then he said, behold the man. And that's not just like, here's the guy. That's, you know, that's not the, kind of the sense of that sentence. Here's the guy that y'all don't like. You know, so I, you know, I found no fault in him. Here's the guy. Here's the one. Here's the person y'all condemned. No, it's behold, this man, this humanity, this living, this life has zero fault in him. And that's what we want to see tonight. Remember, the meal offering is given for our food and our satisfaction. And we're going to see tonight 
that we have the right to eat this person. That's the whole point of the meal offering. We eat this person, and then we're going to see John 6.57. We will live a duplication of his life on earth today. You're the man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess. But you better say Jesus is the man. Yeah, Jesus is the man. Okay, so the, I want to look at this word mediator real quick. And, I, and I, I really want to set us up tonight before we get into the details and get lost. The big takeaway tonight is the humanity of Jesus, the fine human living of Christ. And uh, when we read mediator here, please don't just think redeemer. I mean, that's why the word is not redeemer. Part of Christ's mediation is redeeming us and reconciling us to God. But this man is the mediator. In other words, all that God wants to communicate to humanity, he mediates it through the person of Christ. He is the medium through which God communicates all he has of his person, his attribute, his works, all that God wants to give to man. He mediates to man through Christ, but specifically through the humanity of Christ. So Christ's humanity is so rich in what God wants to mediate to us, okay? And we've got to be alerted here to a danger at the outset. That is, normally when we read the Gospels, we are very impressed with the divinity of Christ. So we read, you know, we read the Gospels and we're like, wow, he walked on water, unbelievable. He's God. Don't you see? He's God. Or he healed people, right? He rose someone from the dead. And we're amazed by that. We're amazed by his miraculous deeds that prove his divinity, right? And so the, the risk here is that we undervalue and neglect his humanity. The danger is we're amazed by his deity and we kind of undervalue and neglect his humanity. But what the New Testament writers are mainly stressing is not just that it's God who has come down and has done all these things, but it's a man who has overcome the devil. It's a man who had no sin. It's a man who reconciled us to God. And this man passed through the full spectrum of human experience. And he had no fault. And this man reconciled us to God, and this man has now been made Lord of all. And so we worship a man who happens to also be God, of course. But if this, if this isn't properly put in balance, we may read these verses and think, oh, he's diligent, you know, he's faithful. These are all human virtues, and we may neglect that. But we need to see that it's Christ, the man, who mediates salvation to us. Okay, um, so we need to appreciate and value his humanity. And that is because God fulfills his purpose through humanity. God fulfills his purpose through humanity. God sent Christ not just to die, God sent Christ to live. He wanted to send the Lord to live a life that expressed him in everything he said, that expressed him in everything he did that expressed God in everything he did not do. Jesus Christ expressed God 100% of the time in every human experience. And it's through that that God can be expressed. So God fulfills his purpose through humanity. And so that means Satan's attack is also twofold. Satan, how, how Satan attacks is twofold. Number one, you might, you might want to write these down. Satan's attack, number one, 
he attacks our faith in his divinity. He attacks our faith in his divinity. So, uh, you know, being on a college campus, a modern liberal university, uh, we know there are certain classes. I know someone who's taken one of these classes, and the professor, uh, you know, his job is to undermine your faith in Christ's divinity. He wants to undermine your Christian faith. And so that's one, that's one strategy of Satan, to undermine his faith. If we don't believe that Jesus is God, then we can't be saved. So that's obviously one crucial attack. The second attack is to attack our experience of his humanity. Attack our experience of his humanity. And that's what we're looking at tonight. If we don't believe that Jesus is God, then we can't be saved. If we don't experience him in his humanity, we can't be used by God. If we don't believe he's divine, we can't be saved. If we don't experience his humanity, we can't be used. And so we have to be alerted to this attack because, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say, hopefully everyone in this room, if not everyone, probably 99% of the people in this room, have faith in Jesus' divinity. And so we think we're good, right? We think we got it. We've got all that there is to get in the New Testament. But we may not be so alerted to the fact that we have a lot of Christ's humanity we need to experience so that we express God in our human living. So, the, the, so our humanity is very crucial to the expression of God. That's what we want to see tonight in the meal offering. And one example of this is, um, I've got two examples of this, and then we're going to jump into some of the, the verses here. One example of this is uh, dyed garments, dyed garments. So I don't know if anyone's a textile major, maybe a fashion major. You work with dyes and different fabrics. Well, different fabrics um, absorb dyes in different ways. And so there's, there may be nothing different about the dye itself, but the quality of that color on that particular fabric may appear better or you know, greater or lesser, may appear more uh, vibrant or may appear kind of dull. And so there's nothing different about the dye, but the quality of the fabric affects our apprehension of the color of that, that uh, dye. And so the dye is like the spirit. The spirit is in all of us. But the quality of the expression of God within us depends on the quality of our, quote, fabric, our human fabric. Another, another, another example is like, again, like I said, like an image. We're all images of God. We're all images of God. We all have the ability to express God. But what is the megapixel of your humanity? How many megapixels does your humanity have? How clear can people see Christ in you? It comes down to your humanity. So the quality of our humanity determines the extent his divinity can be expressed. The quality of our humanity determines the extent his divinity can be expressed. So through the meal offering, this is what the Lord is doing. He is constituting us with a new humanity. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so let's go ahead and read the verses in Leviticus 2. Let's just uh, read them all together. This is the verses on the meal offering. Okay, let's read it. Ready, set, go.
Okay, so this is the, the recipe. Remember, the meal offering is uh, it's kind of like a recipe here. It's a cake, basically. And um, so let's look at the ingredients. Now, the thing to note is this is a picture of Christ. Remember, this is a picture of Christ. So we want to look and see how the ingredients in the meal offering, how does it portray the experiences in Christ's human living? So um, I've got this chart under here. I, I didn't have uh, space to put all the verses, but I've got them listed there for you. And so the thing to note is there are four ingredients in the meal offering. Those are the first four lines. And then there's two ingredients that are prohibited. So God said, do not use these in the meal offering. And if you added that, it would spoil the meal offering. Spoil the meal offering. So let's go ahead and uh, let's read, let's alternate just the uh, ingredient and the significance. Let's read through these. This is kind of one of the big takeaways for this meeting. And um, just kind of like how some of the other uh, speakers have done, uh, kind of towards the end, I'm going to ask you guys if you can uh, recite these. This is a big takeaway here. So let's alternate uh, guys and girls, uh, darks and light lines here, and just the ingredient and the significance. Here we go, brothers. Let's read it. Find flour. Sisters. Okay, so this is the ingredients and the significance. So remember, this is kind of a big takeaway. So at the end, I'm going to ask some of you guys to stand up and try and see if you can get this. Okay, so now we're going to zoom in on some of these ingredients, okay? And I'm going to have Jason help me out on some of the verses. I've got them listed here, uh, but I really, I really wanted to have the text in front of you guys, but it would have been like three pages and just uh, can't do that. Too many trees gonna, is going to you know, disappear because of that. Okay, one thing to note here is on the verse, the first verse for no honey... This is not probably 2527. This is Proverbs 2527. So change that B to a V. That's yeah, not probably. That is the verse. That's, uh, that's truly Proverbs 2527. Yeah, not probably. Okay, what does the fine flower signify? The humanity of Christ. Okay, and Jason, how about you read our first verse here for us? John uh, 19, 4 and 5. Uh, Pilate said, I find no faults in him. And he said to them, Behold, the man. All right, there we go. So we already looked at, looked at that a little bit. Now the thing to catch on the fine flower is this is Christ's fine humanity. Yeah. And to really get a, um, a visceral experience of flour, I stuck my hand in the jar of flour this week just to really feel that <laughs> we were very low on flour, so, you know, dumped it out afterwards. But um, I don't know if you've ever done that. I'm sure most everyone has, right? Okay, just think... Think of your hands in just a big jar of fine flour right now. And just move those fingers around a little bit. You know what's really strange about feeling fine flour? I'm talking about baking flour here, you know, all-purpose flour, guys. Um, what is so strange about feeling flour? Huh? It's like soft, but like, you can like, it's a form, but not really. Okay, yeah, you're, yeah I, think you're, I think you're on the right track. Who can elaborate on that? How about a female who's uh, baked before? What is so, it's, it's a little elusive. It's a little mysterious, right? What am I getting at? I know Luciana's a baker. Okay, next time you go feel some flour, just think the humanity of Jesus. And what's so strange about flour is you can't really tell what you're touching. You're touching this like powdery substance and it's so fine 
you can't feel any grains, you can't feel any single particle. It's just, it's, it's, so, it's so strange what you're feeling. And it's hard to describe what you're feeling. So next time you are, you know, your mom's cooking, you're back home over the break, just stick your hand in the flour jar and just think, this is the humanity of Jesus. And if your mom asks you what you're doing, you can explain the meal offering to her. So, right, see, opportunities in season and out of season. Okay, I was looking up, I was looking up the uh, particle size of flour, okay, the particle size of flour. And probably all of us think sand is, is very fine, right? Well, sand is measured in millimeters. One to two millimeters is about the normal average grain size of sand. Flower particles are measured in microns. What are microns? Engineering guys or engineering girls? What are microns? Eh? Millimeters are one thousandths, one thousand of a meter. One thousandth of a meter. Microns are one millionth of a meter. Flower particles are so fine. On the lower end of, par of flower particle size, it's invisible. Flower is finer than mist. Think about that. Flower is finer than fog. An individual flower particle is invisible to the human eye. There's some that are a little bit larger. There's, there's a spectrum. But it's so fine. And when you're feeling that flower, you can't differentiate between one grain and another. It's just so fine. Okay, what this symbolizes about Christ's humanity is that all of his human virtues are fine, perfect, and evenly balanced. Nothing about his humanity is out of proportion. It sticks out. Not one virtue dominates. There's no excess. There's no deficiency. He's never too strong. He's never too soft. He's majestic, but he's humble. He's kind, but he's not weak. Listen to this. He's zealous, but he's not reckless. See, when we get on fire for something, when we get zealous, we get a little reckless, don't we? Everything else just doesn't matter as long as I do that. And we just knock everyone over in our path. The Lord was never like that. He was zealous, but not reckless. That's fine flower. He was unworldly, but he wasn't indifferent or unsociable. He wasn't like a monk on a mountain, just, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just communing with God, you know, just the father. No, he was among men. He was the friend of sinners. He was at the house eating and drinking, but he was unworldly. Are you getting a sense of the fineness of his humanity? He, uh, yeah, anyways, I've, I just got a list here. He was majestic with humility. He combined childlike innocence with manly strength. He had tender love for the sinners, but uncompromising severity against sin. Okay, so this is the exact opposite of us. We are not fine flower. <laughs> We've got a, maybe a few good virtues, but they are way out of proportion from every other human virtue. And because of that, our humanity is not that great to express God. We just express our natural disposition or our national characteristics. You know, every kind of nationality has some kind of strong dominant character, characteristics that, you know, overshadow everything else. Okay, so let me give you an example of this where we see this in the Gospels. Think about Luke chapter 2. The Lord is there in the temple, 12 years old. Does anybody remember this story? Who can tell me what happens? Okay, right over here. Uh, he's talking to the leaders of the temple, uh -huh. the Jewish leaders. And then his mom comes and looks for him. Oh, because he got left behind. Yeah. Like after the caravan or something. And so she came back and looked for him. Uh-huh. 
are you bothering me? Like, I'm supposed to be here. Exactly. Like, like he just knew what he was doing. He's like, well, he's like, I'm doing my part good. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what happened. Is that how the story ends, though? Okay, how does it end? Can anyone complete the story here? That's totally right, okay? So y'all got that picture. He's there, he's 12, he's questioning, asking, answering the Jewish leaders. And yeah, mom and dad come in, they're like, what are you doing? You know, we've been looking for you. And he's like, what are you talking about? I gotta be in my dad's business. But then how does the story end? Huh? Yeah, it says he subjected himself in obedience to them. So this is the fine flower, this is the combination. This, this story, at 12 years old, Jesus is in full conscious possession of his deity. And it's really interesting, when you look at the text, it says, his mother and his father came to him, that's Joseph and Mary, and they said, where have you been? And he says, don't you know I must be in the things of my father? Indicating my father is God. He is in full conscious possession of his deity, but then he's not Moana. He doesn't go, the ocean's calling me. Forget my family. Forget the island. Don't let anything stay in my way. I don't care what my parents say. The lion on the sea, it calls to me. I got to get out of here. And eventually you guys will come begging for my forgiveness, knowing that I'm right, knowing that you should have listened to me all the time, even though I'm 12 years old. That's the Disney narrative. That's not fine flower. That's not fine flower. Jesus, in full conscious possession of his deity, it says, okay, I subject myself since I'm a minor in full obedience to my parents. So I leave. I know that God's my father. I know I should be in the temple. I know that I should be doing his will, but it's not time. It's not time. So I'm obedient to my parents. Isn't this amazing? This is the gospel of Leviticus. This kind of humanity is available to you. Amen. It's so great. So anyways, next time you see Moana, just remember that's not Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> okay let's look at oil oil is the spirit so did y'all get that fine flower is what right so fine all the attributes are in perfect beautiful balance all right jason how about you read our three verses on oil all right uh matthew 120 that which has been begotten in her is of the holy spirit uh luke 4 18 the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me and Psalm 92.10, I am mingled with fresh oil. Amen. Okay, so the oil symbolizes what? Spirit. The Spirit of God. And it's important to note in Leviticus, in the text here, it says the fine flour is mingled and anointed with oil. What this symbolizes is that Jesus Christ is conceived of the Holy Spirit. At conception, he's mingled his human nature and his divine nature are mingled together. Not confused. They're distinct, but they're not separate producing one person, and then at his baptism, he's anointed with the Spirit. So he's both mingled and anointed with the Spirit. Now again, we have uh, the meal offering for our experience. So that's why I put Psalm 92.10 down there. And this verse says, I'm mingled with fresh oil. Okay, so let me ask you, how fresh is your mingling with the Spirit? I really enjoyed Jason uh, last week. He, I was sitting in the CBA uh, you know, if you ever need to find a, a, a bro, if you ever need to, need to find a lifeline, just, hey, just go to the CBA, go to the atrium, you know. And it was so great. I was sitting there, I was doing some reading, and Jason came in and he sat down and he said, bro, I need, I need some prayer. Let's just get five minutes of prayer real quick. I got to go to class, but I just got to get some prayer. I got out of a test, not feeling that great. Bro, didn't we get mingled with fresh oil? Amen. 
And I loved it. Jason was like, I need a shot of prayer. I need to take a prayer shot. You know, it takes less than 30 seconds for that shot of prayer to get in your system. It's just like feeling the spirit again, a fresh mingling. And so we need to make sure to take time in our day. Lord, I need to get some fresh oil, some fresh filling of the spirit. It's the oil that can produce that human living. Okay, so anyways, we got to move on here. Again, it's the spirit of God and we need to be freshly mingled with the spirit by prayer, by singing, by praising. All right, let's do frankincense here. Frankincense, frankincense is the fragrance of resurrection. We're going to skip the verses for time. They basically just talk about the aroma of frankincense. And so what this symbolizes is that in his human living, the Lord always manifested a certain fragrance. The Lord always had a particular smell about him, and that smell was resurrection. He lived a resurrected life. And let me give you two examples to show what I mean by this in the Gospels. It's his arrest and his crucifixion. Okay, so who remembers the arrest story? Anybody remember the arrest of Jesus? Okay, so there's a crowd that comes with pitchforks and swords and weapons and, and torches. It's midnight. They come to Jesus and he says, did you come out with swords and clubs to arrest a robber? I've been in the temple day by day teaching you and no one sees me. Okay, then what does Peter do? Yeah, Peter cuts off the ear. Now, Peter is not a professional fencer. He's not in the Olympics for fencing. So he's not going for like a precision flick. Pa! Just get that ear. Pa! I think he's going for the head. And he misses, or the guy ducks, you know? He's a fisherman. He's not a swordsman. So he's going for the, he's going for the head. They're about to take Jesus away. And so Peter in his, this is our humanity, right? This is gravel. It's just so coarse. He's going for the head. He misses. The guy ducks, hits his ear. Imagine if you're Jesus in this situation. I mean, you're just like, <laughs> what are you thinking? You're like, oh, Lord Jesus. You know, it's like, Abba Father. You're calling Abba Father. Okay, here is where frankincense comes in. What does Jesus do? Only one gospel tells us this. Only Luke tells us this detail, but it's so significant because Luke is focusing on Christ's human living. The guy swings, Peter swings, misses, hits the ear. I mean, and, and anyways, not to be too graphic, but that must have been a chunk, you know? Jesus picks up the ear and heals the guy by touching, by touch. That's the aroma of resurrection. If people were coming to arrest you unjustly, you would probably be like, that's right, give them a taste of their own medicine, you know? <laughs> I'm still going to submit. I know i got to die on the cross, but yeah, at least you get a little taste of that, you know? <laughs> that's probably what I would have already, it's like, or, or maybe secretly you would like, yeah, that's right, Peter, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like, I would have loved to do that, but I can't, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> and the Lord also, he doesn't just say, ear, you know, grow back. <laughs> he could have done that. You know, he could have just gone. And that would have impressed us with his divinity. Of course, the healing itself is based on his divinity. But think about the human touch. He picks up, he gets that bloodied ear and puts it back on and says, let them go this far. He says, it's okay. It's okay. And not only am I submitting to the Father's will, I'm having this intimate interaction full of the fragrance of resurrection. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. That's the fragrance of resurrection. He was never in himself. The other one is on the cross. 
So he's being crucified, and uh, he, the nails are in. They've plucked out his beard. They've flogged him with the cat of nine tails. That's chunks of metal and barbs to rip off the flesh. They've put the crown of thorns on his head. They've mocked him. They sneer at him. That's to contort your face, laughing in a mocking manner. <laughs> the Son of God. Everyone says, oh, save, you know, save yourself. You're Messiah, right? Come on down. Okay, on the cross, Jesus has to be there to fulfill the will of God to, to redeem us. He doesn't have to say three things. And these are the three things that manifest resurrection aroma on the cross. He says, number one, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing, Father. Forgive them. That's the aroma of resurrection. Number two, he says, John, here's your mother. And it uh, points to Jesus' mother. So he is taking care of his disciple after his absence. He's taking time to care for others during his most painful moment. And then he has a conversation with the thief on the cross on his right and says, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't have to say those three things. He had to die on the cross to fulfill the eternal will of God. But in his most pressing, painful moment, he is fully caring for others. You see that? So how do we manifest resurrection if we're studying for a test and someone's like, hey, Jason, I need some help. We're like, bro, I'm busy, man. I, I got to take care of me. But the Lord's not like that. He manifests resurrection aroma even on the cross. It's beautiful. Okay, let's go to the next one, salt. Uh, Jason, how about you read these two verses? This is the cross. Okay. Uh, Mark 9, 50. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. And Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Okay, so salt signifies what? The cross. the cross. Yeah, the cross. So the Lord is always under the killing work of the cross. Salt does three things. It kills germs. So you like you salt a meat, right? It kills germs. It preserves. So also that salt preserves the meat. And it seasons. So salt kills germs. It pre preserves. It seasons. Now, what, what we need to note here is that we need to experience the salt of the cross. And I've got three things here I want you to write down, three things that really need salting in our life. Number one is our conversation. How much is our conversation under the salting of the cross? What you say to somebody, right? Is, is, the, is the cross kind of killing the germs in that? How much you say to somebody? Who you say it to? So our conversation needs to be salting. And I would say this includes our, test, our texting, our social media communications with each other. Are they salted? In other words, is there something that's limiting, that's preserving, that's killing what's about to come out? And I'll tell you what the cross looks like is as you're texting, you just have a sense to stop. And you just, dut, 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 dut. the three dots appear, the three dots disappear. And nothing shows up. Nothing got sent, right? That's the salting of the cross on our conversations. The second thing is, that needs to be salted is our attitude, our attitude towards others who are different from us, who do things in a different way from us, who pray differently from us, who have a different experience from us. It's easy to have a critical attitude towards people who are different from us. That needs the salting of the cross. And the third thing that needs salting is our habits. Staying up too late, where we hang out, who we hang out with. All these things need to be under the salting of the cross. And you know, our old man is like a slug. Our old man is just a slug. What happens when you put salt on a slug? It just, yeah, it just 
I don't know what happens to it, but it just, it dies. It like dissolves the salt that kills the slug. And your old man is just like a slug. You can tell where your old man's been. It's just slimy. It, it just leaves a trail of slime. That relationship just got so slimy because you're old man. It's just slimed. And so we need to allow the Lord just salt that. Salt that old man. That's going to put that old man to death. Okay? Uh, let's keep going here. Uh, two things now that we don't, uh, we're not allowed to have in the meal offering is leaven and honey. Okay, Jason, how about you read our first verse, Corinthians 5 and 7, 5, 7, and 8. All right. Purge out the old leaven. Let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Amen. So leaven here signifies uh, evil things like sin. Okay, then honey, I don't want to take the time to look at the verses here, but if you look at them later, honey signifies natural affection and goodness. Now, the interesting thing is both leaven and honey ferment. They, they will ferment. They'll go through the fermenting process. And what that does is that will spoil the taste. That will spoil the meal offering. And so it's sin in our life that spoils our meal offering experience of Christ. And it's also, this may catch you off guard, it's also our natural affection and our natural goodness that will spoil our experience of the human living of Christ. So the example I've got here for honey is in Matthew 12, 46 through 50. And this is a story where the Lord is uh, teaching a crowd. He's in a house. And um, someone says to him, hey, your mom, your mom and your brothers are outside. They're looking for you. They're looking for you. And basically what they're trying to do is kind of try and pull him back. They've said he's crazy. He's, he's way too, too much. He's going overboard. And basically his parents are outside trying to reel him in a little bit. That's kind of what's going on here. And he, he says this. This is how you know there's no honey in that relationship. He said, who are, who is my mother and my brothers? It's the people in this room. It's not the people out there trying to reel me in. It's the people who do the will of my father. And this is really interesting uh, to pick up on because sometimes in a very subtle way, uh, the devil will try and reel us in in our following the Lord absolutely, in our living Christ. And it's so sneaky because it seems like such a good motive. It's natural affection. And, it, and it's not that the Lord doesn't love his family and that we don't love our family or our parents, but we shouldn't let any kind of natural affection hinder us from our following Christ absolutely. So it's, it's no honey that preserves our living Christ. Okay, so let's take a time here real quick and see if anybody wants to stand up. We got six points, four ingredients and two ingredients that are prohibited. So does anybody want to stand up and go through these six points and kind of just give us a little bit? Just try and give us the main significance. Six points is a big takeaway here. Who wants to do it? Need that boldness. All right, EJ. Amen. First we have the fine flour, which represents Christ's humanity. Amen. 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 Great job. Very good. Okay, we got a sister who wants to try? Sister? 
I talked to somebody this week and I asked them, hey, what do you think about the times when people stand up? And everyone I talked to said they loved it. So if you're thinking like, uh, I'm a little nervous, people love this part. I asked them, so. All right, who wants to go? You got a sister? We don't have to, but it'd be great. Oh, we got one right here? All right. I don't know if I have it memorized. That's okay. Amen. Then we have the oil, which represents the spirit, the spirit of God. Right. Then we have the frankincense, frankincense, mm-hmm. frankincense, frankincense, which represents the fragrance of resurrection. Right. Then we have. What are you going to put on that slug? Oh, salt. That's right. <laughs> The cross. the cross. Yeah. Okay, I was like, the, the Jesus heals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> then there's no leaven, which is no sin or negative thing. Then there's no honey, which is no natural good or something. Affection. Affection. Yeah, good job. <laughs> good job, guys. <clears throat> Okay, isn't this an amazing picture of Christ's human living? These are the ingredients that make up his human living. Okay, we're going to go through these 10 points of the humanity of Jesus very quickly. So let's just do like this. Let's alternate guys and girls, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way down to 10. These are just characteristics that we picked out to kind of put a little bit more teeth on Christ's human living. So let's alternate. Brothers, ready, set, go. Sisters. Okay, so these are just some characteristics of Christ's humanity. I just want to touch on a few real quick here. So on first one, fulfills all righteousness. This is when the Lord gets baptized. And John the Baptist's reaction is, hold up, you don't, you don't need to get baptized by me. I need to get baptized by you. And the Lord tells him in this verse, Matthew 3.15, permit it to fulfill all righteousness. <clears throat> what this means, this is kind of a principle about the Lord's living. That is, the Lord always does what's right, the right way to do something, the way the Father has ordained to do something, the way it's supposed to be according to God's ordination. The Lord submits to that. He does what's right. In other words, he, he never exempts himself. Like, well, you know, the way you're supposed to do it is, but, you know, I, that didn't really apply to me. It's okay to not do that. And so, you know, some applications here. Um, it's really easy to be a college student and download some illegal movies. You know, illegally download those movies. Not the movies themselves are illegal. And, you know, we justify it. We go, well, I mean, I know you're not supposed to, but they make millions of dollars in the movie industry, and it's real easy to do, and no one really cares, and so it's fine. Okay, the Lord doesn't do that. He doesn't exempt himself. So the more we're experiencing the Lord, the, Lord, the more the Lord may touch us on these kind of things. You order the water at the restaurant, you go get a Coke. I mean, I've been there. Lord Jesus, you know, forgive me. But it's like the Lord never exempts himself. He never said, it's okay. I'm perfect. I don't need to be baptized. He submitted to the right way of doing things. Okay, now, amazingly, if normally, if we're this kind of person, you know what's usually not true? 
We usually don't love the weak ones. See, here's another imbalance. If we fulfill all righteousness, we see someone else who's not, we see that guy with the clear cup getting Coke in it, right? (laughs) It's like, you know, it's the clear cup for water. And uh, we see him getting uh, Coke in his clear cup and we despise, we criticize. We, oh man, what's wrong with you? Get up on my level, come on. Don't you know the Bible says don't do that? Don't you know that's dishonest? The Lord, although he fulfills all righteousness, he loves the weak ones. That's amazing. And the picture here is, um, the Lord says, I don't, bruise, I don't break a bruised reed, and I don't quench smoking flax. So later when Peter denied the Lord and basically turned in his apostleship card because he thought he was done, you know what the Lord did? He showed up to his job site, which was fishing. He visited him, and he cooked breakfast for him. That's what he did. He recovered Peter's love for him. He didn't criticize Peter. He didn't condemn Peter. He didn't fire Peter. He showed up at his job. Peter had gone back to work thinking, I'm not an apostle. The Lord showed up and said, come and have breakfast. So what is our attitude towards the weak ones? Well, the Lord's fine human living. He just loves the weak ones. He doesn't just tolerate the weak ones. He loves the weak ones. Okay, so I think that's all I have time to touch on. But if you look at these verses, it's really good. Let's quickly just do number two here. Let's read number two. Ready, set, go. And let's alternate brothers, sisters, everybody on Leviticus, John, and Corinthians. Ready, set, go, brothers. Sisters, go. Everybody, ready, set, go. So these verses just show us that the meal offering is uh, eaten by Aaron and his sons in Leviticus 6. It's eaten by them. And the Lord interprets this in John 6. He says, whoever eats me shall live because of me. So that's where we see the duplication, just like Christ lived, just how Christ lived, his perfect human living with the fine balancing of all the attributes, the salting of the cross, the fragrance of resurrection. If we eat Christ, that will be duplicated in us. And if all of us eat Christ, then the church itself will become a loaf. There will be one bread. We are that one bread. The church is the duplication of Christ corporately. So this is the gospel of, Levit- uh, the gospel of Leviticus concerning the meal offering. Uh, no matter where we are right now, no matter uh, what the Lord may be speaking to us about our shortages and our humanity, we need to eat. We need to take Christ in and let that life flow out and be duplicated in us. Isn't that good? So that's the meal offering, the vision and enjoyment of the meal offering. Let's pray two by two just for real quick, and then we'll open it up and uh, turn it over to you guys. Let's pray with your neighbor.